And welcome back, beautiful souls, to our 21st episode of Spirituality with Kayvin. For the last few weeks, I spoke about how there are different paths that we can take to reach self-realization, which means experiencing eternal happiness and everlasting peace. We went over Bhakti Yoga, the path of love and devotion, Karma Yoga, the path of action or selfless service, last week, Gyana Yoga, the path of knowledge. Today, I will talk about the last one out of the four main paths, which is Raja Yoga, the path of meditation, or sometimes also called the path of discipline. This one is a systematic approach to self-realization, and since the yoga postures, what we call asanas, are part of this path, generally people are more familiar with this path. Have you ever heard of the term monkey mind? Just like a monkey, my mind has this tendency of jumping from one thing to another and then to the next new thing. This term describes the human mind as being full of drunken monkeys, constantly screeching, fighting, chattering, distracting, and creating mental chaos. This monkey mind is restless, it's loud, it's indecisive, it's unfocused, and confused. When I'm under a lot of stress or pressure, sometimes I feel like I'm at a war with my mind. Yogic teachings always remind us that our uncontrollable mind can become our greatest enemy. However, if we learn to control this monkey mind of ours and use it to our advantage, it can become our greatest friend. Spiritual life begins when we learn to control our minds. In today's fast-paced and busy society, there are more distractions than ever. Everything we see is an ad. There's always something catching our attention wherever we go. I remember when I was younger, my mind and my body were disconnected, always disconnected, which is the complete opposite of this concept of union in yoga. And just like how the monkey swings from one branch to another, my mind always swung from one thought to the next or from one desire to another or between the past and the future. I don't think I was ever really present back then. When I was in one place, I would think about how much happier I would be if I were to be at another place. And then when I arrive at that place, my monkey mind would have already jumped somewhere else. For instance, when I was sitting at my cubicle, I would be dreaming about lounging on the beach somewhere in Hawaii or counting down the days till I fly out. Then when I would finally be on my holiday, my mind would be counting the days till I go back to work and dreading it. Especially before I started meditating, I found it was very difficult to focus on anything. This is why meditation changed my life. As I developed a regular practice, my mind finally got a break from all the excitement and the stimulation from the material world, known as maya in yogic terms. I'm able to see things more clearly, I have better focus and prioritize what's important for me. I feel less stressed when I'm bombarded with one too many tasks and responsibilities. I feel more content with what I have in life or the situation that I find myself in. Having that said, although I do feel much more peaceful and calm these days, I am still working on slowing down my mind every day. 
but I'm much more aware and mindful now. Each time I catch myself aimlessly wandering off, I would bring myself back to this moment. And this practice requires a lot of dedication, time, and consistency in order to be able to see the results and reap benefits. Patience is a virtue. One of the reasons why it's difficult to tame the monkey mind is because we're always trying to juggle a million things at once. Many studies have shown that we actually cannot multitask. What the mind is actually doing is switching rapidly from one task to another, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. We think we're able to complete many tasks at once. However, we're actually using up all our resources, which leads to more stress. Disorganization, lack of efficiency or effectiveness, and decrease in productivity, the inability to focus, and even loss of memory. And just the other day, I was having lunch, doing my laundry, and working on preparation work for my next retreat, which is coming up in about a week or so. Then I received a call from my mom asking what I'm up to and when I'm going to visit home again. Immediately, my mind drifts away to New York City. Not too long after, I got distracted and started checking my messages. Someone shared their kind thoughts with me after listening to this podcast and asked about the next episode. Afterwards, I find myself trying to figure out how to get this episode out by the end of the week. Time just flew by. Before I knew it, half the day was gone and it was time to head to the studios for my late afternoon meditation classes. Then I realized I haven't completed all the tasks I had intended to do, and my clothes were still in the washer. We're constantly on the go and always doing something, always doing many things. Yogis believe that we need to stop doing and start being. Just be present. Just be here in this moment. And for many people, it's not an easy thing to do. Right? It's not easy to do nothing. We're so used to packing our schedule, possibly because we think we don't have enough time. We're afraid of missing out. We don't like boredom. At a deeper level, it could be the fear of silence, the fear of being alone, the fear of facing oneself, the fear of discomfort, the fear of experiencing pain. So we go on chasing our desires and carrying on with our busy lives without taking time to be still or to be present or to be alive. As a practitioner on this path, I've learned to accept that life is a suffering. There's a lot of pain we experience now and there will be a lot of pain that we experience in the future because everything in this world is temporary. Which is also reassuring because... This tells us that the darkest nights will also end. The good and the bad news is that nothing lasts forever. This encourages me to make the most out of every moment and become more present as our time is finite. For me, whenever I free my schedule and have some me time, I feel very peaceful and at ease. It is in solitude that I find answers and I learn more about who I am. Spending time alone is such a purifying and transforming experience. Some people feel meditation is a lonely activity, but actually it gives us a chance to know and connect with the most important person, ourselves. We connect with our innermost self and hear the soul speak. 
And actually, if we think about it, are we ever really alone? Oftentimes in meditation, I feel as if the whole cosmos surrounds me. I remember when I first started getting into this practice, all I wanted to do was to be by myself, to go into a cave and meditate all day. Thinking back, my friends and family must have thought I was so weird. One time I traveled to the Virgin Islands with my friends and I would use any time I had to do some yoga and meditation. Early morning, I would quietly sneak out to practice while everyone was still sleeping in from the late night parties. When I was traveling from one island to another, I would take that time to meditate and try to find some inner peace, whether I was on a boat, a plane, or at the airport. Later, I found out my girls capture all these funny photos of me meditating and with them photobombing in the back. There was this other time where my cousin asked a Taoist master to perform some rituals on me to get rid of the demon inside. Her and her friends swore that I was possessed by some evil spirit and it was preventing me from working that 9 to 5 lucrative job and it was controlling me to become another person. Pretty much they thought that this demon was taking over my entire life. Then my mom. My mom, of course, questioned me all the time. What kind of religion or cult have you gotten yourself into? Can you come back to reality, get back to work, make some money, find a partner, just be like everyone else and have a normal life? I would always respond in a very contemplative manner. What is reality? What is normal? We would both be puzzled. And going back to Raja Yoga, the path of meditation. Raja means royal or king. And just like a king, a Raja Yogi acts with self-confidence, independence, assurance. And he or she is fearless. Swami Shivananda, a great saint, said meditation is the royal road to attainment of freedom. A mysterious ladder that reaches from earth to heaven, darkness to lights, Mortality to immortality. Raja Yoga is not only the path of meditation, but it is the path of self-discipline and practice. It gives us a systematic approach through eight steps. Patanjali, a great sage who compiled the Yoga Sutras that consists of 196 verses, says in his second sutra, Yoga Chitta Riti Nirodaha that yoga is the stilling of the mind until it rests in a state of total tranquility, so to experience life as it is. The mind is often compared to a lake. When there are lots of ripples or when the water is muddy, we cannot see the bottom of the lake. Similarly, when we have lots of thought waves or when the mind is clouded with negativity, we can't see our true self. In meditation, what we're doing is removing all the fluctuations of the mind that comes from attachment, aversion, desire, and fear from the material world. Now, how do we meditate? In order to be able to meditate, we need to learn how to concentrate and hold our focus on a particular object. And to concentrate, we need to withdraw our senses and let go of all the distractions from the outside world. The practice of breathing, pranayama, and yoga postures, the asanas, helps us to free the mind and move deeper into these higher states.
These days, if we want to learn yoga, we can simply pay a fee to attend a yoga class. There are even many free community classes everywhere. However, back in the days, the gurus wouldn't teach their disciples yoga postures so easily. There were ethical or moral principles that must be learned before the yoga postures were even taught. There are things that we need to control or things we shouldn't do like do not lie, do not harm, do not steal. And then there are things that we need to observe and follow like to be content, to be pure, to have self-discipline. And all these actually make up the eight steps or the eight limbs of Raja Yoga. Starting from the bottom of the spiritual ladder versus the ethical principles that are external, which are known as yamas. Then we have the ethical principles that are internal, known as niyamas. Then we have the yoga postures, the asanas, moving up, breath work. Breathing technique or pranayama. Then the withdrawal of senses, known as pratyahara. Moving to the higher practices, higher limbs, concentration, dharana, meditation, dhyana, and then finally self realization, known as samadhi, or the top of the mountain. Although I've mentioned the word raja means king, it actually refers to control in this context. Raja yoga involves the control of the self, body, mind, breath, ego, desires, to eventually reach a state of enlightenment or to return to our true selves. Whichever path we choose will lead us to the same destination. Just like how a true religious man believes that the essence of religion is one with different approaches, a true yogi respects all paths and understands that each can guide us back home. Thank you all for listening. If you have any sharing, questions, or comments, I would love to hear your thoughts. You can always find me on Instagram at kyun underscore. And if you've been enjoying these podcasts, I would be so grateful if you can give me a rating on Spotify. Have a great morning or evening wherever you are. The lights within me. Bow so the divine lights within you. Namaste, everyone.